Hey, what's up, guys? It's Eric. He's about 455 yards away. He's going to hit about a two iron, I think. Hey, guys, this is Joe. Remember, Danny, two wrongs don't make a right, but three rights make a left. Some people belong to the Bushwood Country Club for the fine cuisine. This steak still has marks where the jockey was hitting it. Some belong for the stimulating conversation. I was a, I might, I think I will. And some just don't belong. You think I'd join this crummy snobatorium? Caddy Shack, starring Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight, and Bill Murray as Carl. It's the snobs against the slobs in Caddy Shack, rated R. You're listening to Worth a Late Fee, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time to see if they still think that the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. How you doing, Joe? Not bad, Eric. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's been a and, while and since we recorded. I huh? know. It's been a little while we took, here. we took last week off uh, because we were a little behind anyway on getting episodes out and then we also, Joe and I, on the night that we normally would have recorded, we went to made the pretty much, I'd say it's the annual trip now yeah. to Chunkies to see Jaws. Good times. They're a little bit behind because of COVID and everything. I think Jaws is usually, they usually do that in like July, but whatever. I drank a couple Narragansett beers. Joe drank. Um, I had one. Was, I had one Joe beer. Had one had beer. A, yeah. What was it called? And I had the, I actually got it right. I actually pulled it down for this, Eric. I have the shark bite. It was called. I got this little fish tank looking uh, plastic thing here that they put my drink with. But it was, what was it? It was, um, I have I no idea. What was I'm, in it now. I'm horrible with mixed drinks. Me too. And it was, I, 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 the reason why I bought it was because it had gummy sharks supposedly in it from what I was told. And mine didn't have the gummy sharks, but it's a very uh, fruity drink for sure. It was, this was, this was a bar rescue episode or like a restaurant impossible episode in person because what happened was we were sitting there waiting for the movie to start and the waitress walked by with like a tray of these two drinks and then joe looks and it's like it's like joe said it looks like a mini fish tank with what looks like windex in it it's like the bluest blue 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 alcohol drink (laughs) right it's the bluest of blue alcohol drinks and so joe's just like "Ooh, what is that (laughs) and then uh the lady behind us who was like a she told us was like she was a school teacher she had one and she said it was good so joe got one because yes. he was promised uh gummy was it gummy, gummy fish sharks or? in it and i was like i was all looking forward to it and while i did get nerds <laughs> as the rocks which was a nice little touch i really yep. wanted those gummy sharks so yep. the entire time in the dark there i'm trying to fish for gummy sharks i can't see what i'm drinking and come to find out that there was just nothing inside of there other than nerds i almost i almost i had i told my wife when i got home i was like i had like the church giggles because I looked over. I looked over in the middle of the movie and just see Joe sitting in front of this fluorescent sipping, blue, si- sipping my little drink like a giant yeah. straw. Yeah, I was like, "Oh my god, what are we doing?" But, <laughs> but really though, every time I watch like a restaurant show or, or like that bar rescue show, they say like the value of having a drink that when someone walks by, like everyone's like, "Ooh, what is that?" It was, I lived it. Joe, Joe, totally hook, line, and sinker fell for the fell for that drink. But <laughs> they whatever, got, they got me. They got me. And oh. another thing I told Bree about when I got home, and I we didn't talk about how about that guy in the in the table next to us? Did you hear that guy who just kept burping? Yeah, I know. I'm like that it, dude had one too many shark bites. This guy, so we're in we're in a theater. It's like pretty crowded, and he is like multiple times. I mean, like five or six times doing like a dramatic over the top burp where he's like, Bleh. 
And I'm like, dude, you're not in your couch. Like you're not in your own <laughs> living room. Like there's other people here. Um, but anyway, it, but it was awesome. It was fun to get back to Chunkies and see Jaws. And I mean, we talked about it, I think in the Jaws episode and Joe and I talked about it on the way home, but Quint is top five, probably movie characters of all time. Unbelievable. That whole movie is amazing. It's so fun to see it. So, and unfortunately we did not get a before and after shot of the shark revisit because our shark <laughs> shark buddy was there in costume again. Yeah. But it was a little bit to take the it picture. Was, yeah, exactly. It was more of a pressure situation. <laughs> yes. So I know we didn't get it, but um, you've been watching anything else good on TV. Yeah. So because we didn't um, meet for a couple of weeks now, um, I did watch a few movies in theaters actually. So I started off with old when that was in theaters. I don't know if it still is. That movie was, but what you expect for a, um, M. Night Shyamalan film. And um, I saw Green Knight, which was excellent and one of the best movies I've seen this year. Yeah. Um, Jungle Cruise, which was stupid fun. <laughs> yeah. And Just the Night, what might be right next to Green Knight is my, one of my favorite films of the year is Pig. Have you heard of Pig? No. Nicolas Cage? Oh, oh man. That's, that's a tough sell. It is a tough sell, but <clears throat> it, it look at I didn't, ha- I didn't know what this movie was scoring on run- until like, I actually watched it. I was like, oh, this movie was incredible. Like, what does this have on Run Tomatoes? Why don't you look at that score while I explain the plot here? Okay. So it's about Nicolas Cage, basically. He's this rundown old 96% <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. No joke. No joke. And there's like, a good amount of reviews, too. It's not like 10 reviewers. It's like, it's a lot. Right. Um, this He's attached to this pig. He's pretty lonely. And... This pig gets kidnapped one night. So the entire movie is him and someone who he, I'm not going to get too into the details here because his love is kind of kept under wraps until the very end of the movie, but someone he does business with <laughs> go on this journey to try and find this pig. And what is such a simple plot on paper, it ends up being pretty in depth and it's really a really beautiful movie. Nicholas Cage is weird because he's in a lot of movies that I really like, but like I'll give you, I'll give you an example of a movie that some people, someone call it guilty pleasure, and like I'm National not supposed treasure. to like it. National Treasure. I really like National <laughs> I Treasure. Do. I, don't, I don't care what anyone thinks. I, I like do. that movie. I, I think it's entertaining. So yeah, he's in a lot of movies that I really like, but I think he's a horrible actor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's so. It's it's just a weird it's a weird mix, but I'll I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll I'll take your word for it. <clears throat> Have you watched anything lately? Uh, I told you about one of them. So I was, I'm sitting at home one night. I think Brie was out like doing, I don't know. I don't know what she was doing. If she was at the gym or whatever, but as I've talked about on the podcast before, I've been going through this part of my life where I have like a midlife crisis or like a third life crisis. No, probably midlife crisis. I'm old now. Um, watching movies where I love movies where the premise is like people getting together either at the end of college or like a little bit after high school and seeing like where everyone how everyone's doing so i don't even know remember how i stumbled across this movie but the movie's called 10 years it's got channing tate and rosario dawson the, the cast is insane like it the cast is absolutely uh, uh jenna dewan tatum or jenna dewan now because they're divorced but there's so many people in the film um justin long so anyway it's a 10-year reunion plot um and i'm not going to tell you that it was like a, a, an amazing movie but it wasn't bad. And I had never even heard of it. Um, like I said, not an all time great, but it, it's similar to like beautiful girls, but without the creepy Natalie Portman stuff, it's just this cool, like 
people come back to um, their hometown and they see, they reconnect people, see how they've changed. And they also see how like some of the bad stuff that they went through, it happened for a reason. It's cool. I like movies like that. And then the last thing I'll mention is I watched, um, I think it was on Prime, uh, Michael Rappaport's documentary on Tribe Called Quest, Beats, Rhymes, and Life. If you're like a music documentary fan, see it. If you're, a, uh, obviously, if you're a Tribe fan, definitely see it. Or a hip-hop fan, it was awesome. I, I really like that one. So, but other than that, that's about it. Um, I, I told Joe before we started recording. So you guys heard the trailer. You heard the quotes. We're talking about uh, a classic, a, a sports movie classic, a comedy classic, Caddyshack. And tonight I'm going to be drinking. I'll try to remember to post a picture of the can. It's called Combat Wombat. I know that the movie or the, the villain in, in Caddyshack is not actually a, wom- a wombat. It's a groundhog. But what do you want me to do? Give me a break. The villain. The, yeah. Yeah. It's the best I could do. Um, it's in this beer is actually it's half IPA, half sour kind of. It's kind of like a hybrid. And I think it has kind of the better parts of both. I'm not always a sour beer fan. But I like IPA, so it kind of it's it's really good. It's from Rogue uh, Rogue Ales in Oregon, which I've had their beer before. I don't remember if I've had it on the podcast, but I definitely recommend checking out if you have it. Again, Combat Wombat from Rogue Ales. So this was uh, Caddyshack was Joe's pick. So Joe, why don't you explain to us why you picked it, your memory of the film, etc. So I, it's a movie I've only seen once, really a long time ago. Um, probably when I was too young to understand most of the jokes. And it really is a great summer themed film. So I thought it'd be great to revisit it. What's well, considered comedy classic. And I really don't remember a whole lot about it other than as a kid, the gopher scenes and the cover for the most part. So, no, though, you know, the scene that I remembered, I've seen this movie, I don't know, handful of times. I've seen it more than you, Def. I'll probably say I've seen this five times. The scene that as I was watching it again, I remember any scene with Bill Murray. But the scene that I remember uh, that's like scarred into my head is the baby roof and the pool scene. That's yes. the one that I think that's like my first memory of this film. So when uh, I, didn't but, write, I didn't write this down, but it was actually one of the trivia things. That is a real life. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you have for quotes for a trivia, but that's actually uh, Brian Murray, who was helping, who wrote the movie with um, Harold and um, Douglas. He this was actually this was something that happened with him in real life. The whole baby Ruth looking like a turd in the, <laughs> the water yeah i heard that yeah um yeah and it was the whole thing a lot of it was based on his he was a caddy yeah. and growing up and that's when i read that fact i kind of more things made sense to me about caddyshack and my relationship with caddy caddyshack i think my my memory of the film is my dad and pretty much every guy from my father's generation loves this movie I've seen it, like I said, a handful of times. I quote lines from it at the driving range, like the whole, like, you know, like, you know, the Bill Murray, like, killing flowers. Stuff. Oh, he got story. all of that. Yeah, Cinderella <laughs> Boy, here at Augusta, all that stuff. I, I I quote that all the time. It's on most best sports movies list, and that's kind of um, my memory of it. A lot of golf fans and golf golfers love it. I know Tiger Woods loves it. Um, are you do, – do you golf, Joe? I can't remember. No, no. Nope. Yeah, same. I'm I'm the only hockey player in the world who doesn't golf. I go to the driving range like a couple times a year, and I do all right at the driving range. Not great, but I just never got into the sport. I think I think because a lot of a lot of what's um, 
portrayed in the in the film of like not all of them but uh, and i'm sure i think of it as worse than it is but golfers take themselves pretty seriously and i bet you if i could just rent a golf course out to myself all day and not have to deal with people putting yeah. pressure on me and stuff i would like it but i don't know i just i just never run into it other than the driving range so. <laughs> i don't want to bring up like because obviously one's way rather than this, this part this point's probably better than happy gilmore but i'd probably be like the i'm sandler on the on the green where it's like i'm wearing like comfortable pants comfortable clothing i'm <laughs> it's yeah. like how you said it's like it's a very serious kind of a dry sport from what i've seen yeah. on tv yeah and, and everyone i know that plays it would tell me that that's not the case that they just like you know go drink beers and play golf and i bet you you probably just have to find the right place the right, right you're not professional right yeah no definitely not professional so do you have any stats as far as how this did financially so Keisha came out on July 25th, 1980, with a budget of $4.8 million, making $60 million in the box office. It was written by Douglas Kenny, who co-founded National Lampoon and helped write Animal House, but unfortunately passed away in 1980. And a lot of that was due to the, this movie's negative film scores, which is a shame. Um, the film was also written by Brian Dill Murray, who's been involved with both acting and writing and had success, success in both. He's also Bill Murray's brother. And Harold Ramis, who also directed the movie. So lots of talent and legendary stats involved with this one. Tons of talent, tons of talent. And um, I think I mentioned earlier, but it's on most bets as far as how it was received. It's on most best sports movies list. Yeah. Premier voted this is actually, uh, it's, in the, it's on their list for the 50 greatest comedies of all time. That list was made in 2006. Oh, wow. But um, 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, only two, two and a half stars from Ebert. Here's a quote from his review. Maybe, maybe one of the movie's problems is that the central characters are never really involved in the same action. Murray's off on his own fighting gophers. Dangerfield arrives, devastates, exits. Uh, Knight is busy impressing the caddies, making vague promises about scholarships and launching boats. If they were somehow all drawn together in the same story, maybe we'd get maybe would be carried along more confidently. Oh, wow, um, Roger. I, I agree with Roger Ebert. I, I totally agree, yeah. That was, ha- that was half my complaint. Yeah, me too. So, uh, But some other stuff that was going around, when did you say it, uh, this one came out? 1980. So In July, July 19th, I'm sorry. So that month, uh, in film, some other movies that came out, Airplane, Used Cars, Dress to Kill, uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie, uh, Blue Lagoon, and then outside of film, you know, the usual Nolan Ryan bro- broke some strikeout records. Ronald Reagan accepted the Republican nomination. Billy Joel's song Glass Houses topped the charts. So not really a, not a great month to, no. to me. Nothing really that speaks to me. But do you have the back of the DVD summary? I do. Danny Noonan, a teen down on his luck, works as a caddy at the snob-infested Bushwood Country Club to raise money for his college education. In an attempt to gain votes for a college scholarship reserved for caddies, Newton volunteers to caddy for a prominent and influential club member. Meanwhile, Denny struggles to prepare for the high-pressure caddy day golf tournament while absorbing new age advice from wealthy golf guru Ty Webb. So you know what I hate about that's tough about uh, what you do? Well, first of all, a couple questions. If I asked you without reading, you just watched Caddyshack. You've actually watched it twice yep. in the past weeks, and I, I watched it last week. So if I asked you to give me the summary of Caddyshack, could you have done that? 
No, I would have been like just by like what I remember is this this gopher, right? Destruct that being a terror with the golf course, <laughs> right? It's <laughs> like it's like Bill different. Murray and the gopher, and then like right, like you're like going going into rewatching it. I was like, there's Bill Murray, and he's fighting the groundhog thing, and then Roddy Dangerfield's in it. And I don't really remember like what his right is. It, it's it's a lot of like jumping around, and then the other thing that I have a hard time with is uh, Chevy Chase. Now, he is, he's kind of been reborn or he was reborn for a younger generation with community. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, I love that show. Yes. Right. And, ever, and I never actually got into community, but I've, I've only heard amazing things about it. But he's got a million things going on, which we'll cover in a, when we go over his filmography. But I've always had a hard time with Chevy Chase because I've heard that he's such a, such an a-hole yeah even with community he had that destructive behaviors and we we know that's between him and murray and snl he's just been destructive his entire career he's a legend a comedy legend without a doubt he's oh yeah he's one of the best yeah and his resume speaks for itself but he it's it's tough to tough to root for him so but so let's get into let's get into some of the people that are in the film what they're doing before and after so harold ramus will start there um here are some of the things that he was involved in as either a writer director or or both in some cases so national lampoon's animal house meatballs caddyshack stripes national lampoon's vacation ghostbusters back to school groundhog day analyze this and others comedy hall of famer and from everything that i've heard kind of the opposite of chevy chase a lot of most people that were associated with him or work with him or whatever have only good things to say about him so now chevy chase who played the golf pro Ty Webb in this one. So original SNL cast member, original anchor of Weekend Update, which is still one of my favorite. It's probably, my wife and I still watch SNL every week during when it's on, uh, and it's our favorite part every week. But um, uh, he left in the middle of the second season of SNL, and film was a big part of it, but there was also a, a girlfriend involved. She didn't want him to, she didn't want to move to New York City. Um, he did come back and host eight times, but was later banned for like, kind of something with Sherry O'Terry where you hit her in the back of the head. Not, not like hit her, like punched her. I don't think, but just, I know that. Yeah. Just not the best stuff with some people, including female cast members and writers, tough look. But um, as far as films, he was involved in crazy resume, Caddyshack, National Olympics vacation, Fletch, uh, European vacation, uh, three amigos, funny farm, uh, Fletch in the Fletch sequels. Um, Vegas vacation, you know what I mean? And then, like we said, community from 2009, 2014. So his resume is nuts. Um, it's just, it's, it's tough to watch. It's tough to really like him when you find out that he's such a dirtbag. And I found scenes like, you know, when my father and maybe your father watched this movie when it first came out and they loved it, you wonder how I, I wonder if I would have liked his character more if I didn't think of him as such a dirtbag, but like that scene where he's like giving the girl mas- the massage and with like, you know what I mean? I kind of just thought like this, I don't know. Yeah. He seems like a dirtbag in real life, you know what I mean? But uh, Bill Murray, who played the the groundskeeper, Carl Spackler, started on SNL uh, after Chevy Chase left, which that I have a fact about that later, but um, which is just kind of a funny coincidence. So he was on SL from 77 to 80, Caddyshack in 80, Stripes in 81, Ghostbusters in 84, Scrooge in 88, Ghostbusters 2 in 89, Groundhog Day in 93, and then later on, uh, Kingpin, Space Jam, Rushmore, 
Royal Tenenbaums, Darjeeling Unlimited, a million other great films, uh, a real, a real legend. And one thing that I like about it is he seemed to, he got to a point in his career where he's like, I'm Bill Murray. I everyone, you know, I, my, my resume speaks for itself. I'm going to do films that I want to do. You know what I mean? Like even, even some of those last films I mentioned, like Darjeeling Unlimited, uh, Royal Tenenbaums, like with the West Anderson films, he's right. like, that's some of his best roles later in his career. Right. But a lot of people would, a lot of old school Bill Murray fans would disagree with you. And one person right, that's that because I, they're used to like his almost like, Caddyshack. right. They used to that conversion of Bill Murray. Right. And, and a person who's similar to me is Adam Sandler. Like there's a group of people that want to see Adam Sandler do, uh, you know, happy Gilmore or Billy mm-hmm. Madison or whatever for 40 years. So when he comes out and he does punch drunk love or oh, whatever, they have I no time when- for it. Oh, I know. I remember Punch Drunk Love and Spanglish. Those movies, yeah. those movies were like so hated with my friend base because of it was in slapstick Sandler. Yeah, that's not. And, and it's lose lose, right? Because yeah. either you do that or you're what? A, a 50 year old guy still making like boob jokes. And it's like, exactly. You it's can't like, win. Right. You're either making like at that point, it's, you really is in between. You're making movies for your fans or like more like to boost your career for critics or something because, you know. Right. Adam Sandler, for example, has range. If you've seen Uncut Gems, yep. that movie, we've seen the range that Sandler has now. So it's like, I hope he does more drama roles every once in a while. And Uncut Gems was one where I feel like even some people who before that were like, come on, Adam, get back to what you do well. They saw that and they were like, all right. Like, you know what I mean? He, yep. he like you said, he can act. He's good. So um, Rodney Dangerfield, who played Al how do you say, how would you say his name? Cervic? <laughs> yeah, I, that's why uh, I, I think you're saying it right. That's how yeah, I say so, it. Uh, started as a stand-up comic, uh, but has some pretty big films in the 80s and early 90s. This is probably the biggest one, but also had um, Easy Money, Back to School, Ladybugs, and then a weird serious role in Natural Born Killers in 94. Um, this will come up later, but I'm not a huge Rodney Dangerfield guy, so that definitely was another thing that um, affected my how much I love this one, but um, so we'll move on from him. Michael O'Keefe, who played Danny o- Danny Noonan, he was actually nominated for Academy Award a year before this for his work in The Great Santini. Oh, uh, wow. But he's yeah, yeah, he didn't win, but still, he was Academy Award nominated. Yeah. That's crazy. But he's actually he's definitely most well known for this, probably for, for playing Fred on uh, Roseanne from '93 to '95. But yeah, so had to mention a career after that all was it pretty much kind of fizzle out later on his and his uh he had a little bit of a career but like not not a ton so he had so he had this in 80 some i'm trying to think like uh fear in 90 um which is kind of a classic i don't know what role he had in that i don't even remember but he had like yeah he was in like the hot chick so he's still acting or he what he acted through 2018 so okay yeah, he had a career. Yeah, okay. I know. It's more more than you would think. So, um, what did you have down for random facts? Like the more you know stuff. So I had a f- a few. I think one of them you might have had. You kind of hinted at it, but we'll see. Um, so this movie was inspired by writer and co-star Brian Doyle Murray's memories working as a caddy at a golf club. His brother Bill Murray and Harold Ramis also worked as caddies when they were teenagers. Um, this is the one that you might be referring to, Eric. Bill Murray filmed all of his scenes, including the famous scene with Chevy Chase, in six days. Many people expected them to have another confrontation as they had 
um, during Trace's return to SNL in 75, uh, years before. They were professional and didn't show any signs of their alleged previous feud, which is good because that scene is a classic scene between the two of them, yeah, for sure. Definitely. And then my final fact is a, uh, a sad one. It was the final film of Ted Knight, who is the best part of this movie. <laughs> that I was going to ask you about that. Was, uh, we're going to come back to that. Actually, let's just do it now in between before I get my facts. So if you were to give an MVP of the movie, you'd give it a Ted Knight? Ted Knight. Judge okay. was the best character in this movie. Best character. Okay. I, I, my personal MVP would be Bill Murray only because laughs per second. Like he was the only person where like every time he was on, but, but yeah, if I had to give it a runner up, um, I would definitely give it to, to Ted Knight. And you know, one thing I noticed when I started watching this is this must've been like an eighties, nineties thing, eighties, early nineties thing. But in that era, movies loved starting off with everyone getting out of bed, like with a family <laughs> getting out of bed, whether it's like, I think they did that in home alone. I think they did that in 16 candles. Like they just, they love that. They love yeah. just like a family getting up and everyone like trying to fight over the one bathroom or whatever. That Rewind. is one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie too. Like I didn't write this down, but I love the scene when the father's there with this kid. He's like, who are you? Who is this? The wife who yeah. pops in. This isn't your nephew. He's like, it's like, we're not a restaurant. <laughs> right. Like, right. Like very fitting for big families. So yes. <laughs> Yes. So um, I had just a couple more facts. You had a few of mine, but so Carl Spackler, so Bill Murray's character was originally a silent character in the script in the manner of Harpo Marx. But after Bill Murray was cast, Harold Ramis was like, no, we're, you know, let Bill Murray be Bill Murray and encouraged him to, to speak and, you know, do his thing. So, and speak and improvise. And one thing he did improvise was the Cinderella story sequence for, uh, from two lines of his stage direction Harold Ramis just asked him to imagine himself announcing his own fantasy sports moment. And then Bill Murray just took it and ran with it. And, of course he did. <laughs> and you're right. And, and it's, it's probably the most famous scene. It's a great scene. Most memorable scene in the movie. Yeah. So that's Bill Murray being Bill Murray being the genius that he is. So, um, and then the line Cinderella story out of nowhere, former greenskeeper now uh, about to become the master champion. It looks like a, it's in the hole, that whole thing. That was voted as the 92nd best movie quote by AFI out of 100. So, you know, his improvising, it worked out. So we'll probably agree on this, but what did you have down for stuff that wouldn't fly um, in today's environment? Um, I had the jokes. Some jokes in the movie were either racist or sexist. And just the way some characters act around some of the women was kind of, I don't know. Mostly the jokes, I think being racist and sexist was the biggest red flag if it was viewed today yeah i i agree with that uh, pretty much everything roddy dangerfield says and then <laughs> yeah. you know but that was that was his thing like you right, know that you was, get, that you was 1980 right exactly different different times so yeah. nothing i'll say nothing that jumped out to me considering it was made in 1980 about par for the course you know what yeah. I mean? like nothing nothing crazy so what did you have down for your uh your favorite scene well, I started off by saying, uh, make a note of pretty much anything that had Ted Knight in it. He stole every scene he was in. Um, but I really love the Bishop's final round of golf. That scene was so good. It's downpouring. We have Bill Murray saying, you know, I don't think the house is going to come down for a little longer. It's downpouring right now. Like this guy's out there golfing yep. his heart out. The song from Ten Commandments is playing during the final scene, which Henry Wilcoxon, who played the bishop, is also in. So it's a very fitting kind of like tribute and just made the scene even funnier. 
And then the whole scene is meant to be absolutely hilarious. And it is, I think, the funniest scene in the entire movie and my favorite scene. But I actually think it's a little sweet, too, underneath, like, all of that. It's like this old guy is playing his best round of golf right now. And it's like, of course, we know what's going to happen in this instance. It's telling a lighting out. He's out there swinging a, a, an iron rod around. And it's just like, yep. it's the way it happens and the way it all unfolds in this scene. It's just so <laughs> funny. And kind of, like I said, kind of touching in a way, like, leading up yeah. to that point. He had his moment. He, he, he got it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I also love, I have to make note, I love Bill Murray again. That comedic time between the two of them was so good. After he gets struck by lightning, you see Bill Murray sneak away as if he did something wrong in this right. case. So like, right. Instead of going to get help, or I mean, not that, not that, you know, the guy was right. probably dead, but yeah. The whole thing was great, though. It was. That's a, that's a good choice. I guess so. I have, a, I, I know what my favorite scene was, but before I get to that, I want to mention some things I, I really liked about this one because I know I may not be as in love with it as some other people, but one thing I loved about it was the length of the movie 90 minutes. Perfect for something like this. Super watchable. And I think that that's, that helps with its, its legacy and its reputation. So, um, other than that, though, so, so my, my favorite scene, I know this sounds like I'm mailing it in, but it has to be the the Cinderella boy here at Augusta scene where he's like, he's weed whacking flowers and doing the golf play by play. Like I said, I quote that. I can't go to the driving range without, without quoting that. Um, and the whole thing about, you know, Cinderella boy here at Augusta just cracks me up every single time. So, oh, and then, and then at the end of it, when he goes, he's like tears in his eyes, I guess. Like it just, <laughs> yeah. it's such, it's so ridiculous. So yeah, that's, um, that's my favorite. What did you have? Or you know what? I, I had something for the soundtrack. So well, there wasn't a ton for this one. And the soundtrack wasn't a huge part of it other than this kind of this little fact. So Harold Ramis wanted to use Pink Floyd to write music for the film, but couldn't get them, which I'm Harold Ramis is a genius, but it's hard for me to figure out how Pink Floyd would have fit into this film. Like I said, Harold Ramis probably had a plan that would have made it the most amazing ever. That he, he was a genius and he, he knew what he was doing, but um, so anyway, he couldn't get them. So after an audition, Kenny Loggins came up with the famous theme song for the film, uh, I'm All Right. So which even if you haven't seen this movie, you know that song. So uh, and played it for the producers, got the job. And then Johnny Mandel, who wrote the film's musical score, was also hired immediately after that. So I don't think the soundtrack is a huge part of this one, yeah. uh, but that's worth mentioning. Yeah, you pretty much had what I had. So, yeah. OK. Uh, what did you have down for if you could change one thing? So this movie is an hour and 38 minutes long. And honestly, it felt longer than that, in my opinion. There's so much going on between so many different characters. You just have to hope the ones that are obviously better than others make more appearances as the film progresses. Um, and because of that, the film just starts off so strong, in my opinion, sort of slows down the middle with the jokes. It's still funny, just not as funny. We have like, you know, one lines that make me laugh here and there. But and then it ends with a bang, literally, on the golf course. Um, but just, I think, going back to the, what I just mentioned, like, there's just too many characters, too many storylines in this film. And some of them could have definitely been of, just removed. We had, like, I forgot her name now. Danny's one of his lovers because he, like, had an affair with her, I guess, that was never actually, like, resolved or brought up as, like, a yeah. consequence. But, like, she was pregnant. So she thought she was pregnant. She's yeah. not. Stuff like that, like, just didn't really need. We just really didn't really need the movie, I thought. And halfway through it, I was questioning myself. I'm like, who is the main character in this movie? Like, I actually wrote that down as a no. Like, I, I, at, at one point, I was like, is the main character Ty's comeback? Are we going to see Bill Murray make this 
actual Cinderella is it, is story. It a gopher? Right. Like, I don't know who, like, at some point, I'm like, at one point, I'm like, who is the story about right now? That's what I mean. I, I, I agree with you. And I, I would challenge someone like, even like someone like my dad, who I, who would tell you that he loves this movie. Maybe the next time we talk about it, I'll say, what's it about? And he, I would, I bet you he can't tell me. And it's not because he hasn't seen this movie a hundred times. It's because it's just, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree a hundred percent with Roger, what Ebert said. It felt like there was like a handful of totally unrelated stories going on. Didn't overlap at all. And just when you start following Marty and the gopher and getting like invested in it, they move on to Dangerfield or some other story. So that I agree with you. And then, but if I had to pick like one super little easy thing, Rodney Dangerfield, I know that's blasphemy because like some people love him for a certain era. He was like a comedic legend, I guess. I don't know, but it, to me, it just felt like they were shoehorning in Rodney Dangerfield stand up, which isn't my favorite. And it just didn't need to be there. It was like one of them saw Dangerfield do stand up. and was like, that's funny. We'll put it in our movie. But, and, and I love the idea of a country club member. Like you brought this up earlier, Happy Gilmore. I love the idea of a country club member that doesn't fit the mold, doesn't, you know, play by the rules, doesn't, you know, button up his shirt and everything. But Dangerfield just annoyed the hell out of me. I just, every time he was on the screen, I was like, what are, what are we doing here? So I don't know. I, that, I agree with you and Ebert as far as too many unrelated stuff going on and never settling on. Yeah, but, uh, I thought honestly going back to this film, I thought in my head the gopher had a bigger role in it. I really did. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. The gopher was the, be- the best actor, not not playing <laughs> Bill Murray. So, um, so um, all that said, we've gotten to the point of the podcast where we give our score. We rate movies on a scale of one to five. Would you mind paying a late fee to keep this movie? So, score of one is you get a couple minutes in, and you know you're just you know whatever the thing is, you you don't want to do it. You decide that. No matter how much your dad loved this movie, you're not into it and you want to return it so you don't pay a late fee. All the way up to score of five, which is you keep it an extra day or two to three, day, day or two or three to watch again, have your friends watch it, maybe even just buy it from the video rental store so you don't have to bring it back. So it was Joe's pick. So I guess I'll go first, which I'm just realizing as I'm saying this out now. Um, and you guys may have got this from what I've been saying, but this is a weird one because I feel like no matter what score I give it, other than a perfect score, some people, an entire generation, my father's generation, will think I'm underrating it. Um, its influence on other films is is pretty obvious. Five minutes in, you have that scene of Chevy Chase uh, coaching Danny through a swing, and if you don't think of Happy Gilmore watching that, you're crazy. Like the that that is um, Happy Gilmore and and what's his name from uh, Oh my God, Co- uh, Co- or whatever his name is from uh, who's the guy with the gator who loses the hand to the gator. So. That scene is the exact same thing, but I didn't grow up with this one. Like I said, I'm not a huge Dangerfield fan. This is a sports classic and a comedy classic for a reason. So for that, I'll give it a three out of five. My father and his entire generation probably slapped me for saying that, but I bet someday I'll watch Happy Gilmore, some kid who was born in like 2010, and he or she just won't get it. And I'll be like, all right, everything's come full circle. I get it. You didn't grow up with this movies have moved on one thing that this made me think about though actually you know what you give you give your score and then i have a bonus question after okay so while i saw this movie when i was younger watching it now for the first time was almost like seeing it with fresh eyes 
I only remember scenes with the gopher because as a kid, I found a dancing gopher to be quite funny. But watching it now and realizing all the legends involved with this film, it was a completely different experience for me. Chase, Marie, Dangerfield are all amazing together, and the improvisational skills between them was incredible. We, as we know, we got some famous lines because of the improv between these characters. And while that improv might have kind of upset known to be nice guy Ted Knight, apparently with all the improv between the characters, he was getting kind of upset on set and he wasn't really on board with the shenanigans, as he said. Um, I think that his character, Judge, stole the movie. Between his comedic timing and the way he delivered his lines with his expressions or body language, the man had me laughing every time he appeared on screen. Now, while the jokes started to run a little thin as the movie progressed, and there were a lot of characters with intertwined storylines, this movie was still enjoyable the entire way through. It's a bit scattered for sure, but it's still incredibly funny, and we got some very famous and memorable lines out of it. So I also gave this movie a three out of five. I agree. And so this is uh, a funny thing because, so I made this note last week when I watched this movie and I took down my notes and then I was listening to another movie podcast today that kind of touched on something for a different reason. So watching this movie, all I could think of was how the nineties were the peak of comedy because there was the humor but they hadn't tightened they, they they had tightened up the plots a lot compared to a film like this. So maybe we'll say like late 80s into the 90s to me was the peak for comedy. So because they had the funny jokes, but they had trimmed the fat, they had put an actual like plot together. Even, you know, they're not serious. Like Happy Gilmore's not a serious movie, but there's some structure to the story. Everyone's related, right? Right. We know what's but, about. We know who to root for. Exactly. There's not too much drama, not, you know, it's Exactly. But they hadn't gotten so into the plot that they turned each comedy into like a two hour and 15 minute movie like some of them are now. Right. So that was the note. So that so to me, that was like mid like 2000 late, like say 2007. After that, they started like Wedding Crashers. Right. Yeah. I love Wedding Crashers, but there's an extra 20 minutes in that movie that do not need to be in that movie. And a lot of movies from that era are the same way. They're hilarious movies that are just 20 30 minutes too long yeah and i was listening to uh the rewatchables today because uh they were talking about super bad and they brought up something that i give them credit for because they're a very you know well they're probably the biggest movie podcast out there and they talked about how they asked the question do you think that movies have gotten a little too afraid of pushing the envelope with political correctness and whatever. And the way that they brought it up was they said, if you were to make a list of the hundred funniest movies that you have ever seen, would any of them come after 2010? And I don't know that I, I think they're right. I, and I, and I, yeah, I do too. So I give a movie like super bad has stuff in it that not that we're reviewing super bad, but so Caddyshack, Caddyshack has stuff in it that people today, it would bother people today, Yeah, but I do worry sometimes that it's gotten, we've gotten so worried about being not offending anyone that we, we can't yeah, push the envelope. No, I agree. And I think like Mel Brooks is one of yes. the biggest coin lunches of all time. And his movies are known as classics for all the right reasons. 
Yep. But half of his movies wouldn't be made today. So, like you said, we lose a lot of the comedy element. I, I, I there's like definitely a thin line on how to not aff- like really offend someone, like really that de- discourage someone, you know, trash entire race or whatever. But yeah. at the same time, it's like comedy is pushing the envelope. That's a, a, yep. a lot of Chris Rock not doing stand as much anymore. If you've if he's mentioned it multiple times, is he kind of blames it on the college crowd now and how, that's yep. right he was one reason why him or seinfeld won't do sam comedy in colleges because it's kind of it's more risk than reward and it's a thin line right because you know, i've seen movies you've seen movies where they're clearly making whether it's racial or like sexist or whatever jokes just because they're going to get that shock, like, ha, 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 but they're not that creative. They're not that funny. And then you have movies like Mel Brooks. You have people like, um, you know, Eddie Murphy. Oh, there are people that just know how to do it in a way where it's funny, it's thought out, and it's smart. And it just, I recommend that. I recommend listening to, not, again, not that the Rewatchables needs my plug. They're, they probably got 8 billion subscribers, but they have a cool, they, they, their conversation about, comedy and the state of comedy is really good and then another thing that had me thinking about film that i was going to text you about joe and i forgot was brie and i were watching do you ever watch hot ones on youtube i have they had matt damon on i don't know if this i think yeah this had to be a new episode because he was pitching his um his new movie and uh he talked about the impact that netflix and streaming services and whatever has 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 had on film and how movies that he made and became famous for in the nineties would never get made now, not because of politically correct stuff, but because of just, that's not what people want to see. People want to see short, you know, he talked about like, you know, I made this movie and it did well in theaters, but when it really picked up was when rentals came out and when DVD sales came out and now you don't have that, you have to get your money like right off the jump or you're not going to get it. So I recommend those two things. Um, Super bad rewatchables podcast to talk about comedy and then Matt Damon on, on hot ones. Definitely check those out. Um, cool. I actually was going to bring up too. Um, Cause right before when we started talking about the rewatchables, this movie kind of felt like, didn't it kind of feel like a bunch of SNL sketches in one movie for the most part? Like I could have been different sketches yes. all just like tied together. Yep. And, and there's, there's another movie very similar to this that we will do eventually, probably sooner than later that I will get equal shit for, for telling someone, for saying that it's not as good as people say it is. It, it's just, that's what, I, that's what I mean when I say movies in the early 80s, 70s, comedies, it was just like how many like blooper reel funny moments can we have without really worrying about making a movie? It's just like, so yeah. And, and not to trash, this movie's a classic, but it's, it's not as good as no. your father would tell you. Right. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's just my opinion. But um, so the beer though, drinking uh, that I was drinking combat wombat from rogue, that was delicious. Like I said earlier, pick that up uh, whenever you can, I'll share a picture of the can on our Instagram. Um, I also on our Instagram posted, if you listen to our last episode, the Sandlot, it was pointed out to me uh, that I accidentally called Chauncey Lee a party who played squints. I call them Chauncey Billups. And because I only know two Chaunceys in my life and I mix them up. And the funniest thing about that was uh, totally unrelated. My wife recently, I have one basketball Jersey. It's a Chauncey Billups Jersey. So that's why, 
you know, he's fresh in my mind. And my wife recently was telling me, it was like something where I was like, Oh, I need to, I need to have like a, a, a basketball Jersey or something. And then Brie goes, why don't you wear your Bilbo, Bilbo Biggins Jersey? And I was like, what? And she's Bilbo like, Bilbo Baggins, let's do it. <laughs> I, well, that's the thing. She didn't even get it right. So I said, <laughs> I said, you mean my Chauncey Billups Jersey? And the only reason I knew she meant Chauncey Billups is because I only have one Jersey. And she's like, who's Bilbo Biggins? I was like, I believe it's Bilbo Baggins. And that's from a movie. That's not, so that, that just goes to show you how much my wife is a sports fan. But um, anyway, follow us on Instagram. <clears throat> Worth a late fee. Uh, send any suggestions that you want. Uh, we'll be back next week. And this is my pick. And this is my final. After this, we're going to a listener request pick. But like I said a couple times, there are some movies that I wanted to get in before summer ended. This is one that I haven't seen in a while, but I've always thought about it as one of the more underrated comedies. It's a summer camp film, so I wanted to get in before summer ended. Heavyweights. Yes, heavyweights. Love this So I'm movie. pretty excited. Yes. Oh, like I, said, I think I do. It's been a while since I've seen this one. Yeah, so I think me I too. Like me it, too. So. <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure it'll, it'll um, I, I'm pretty sure I'll still love it. But thank you guys very much for listening. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot. We'll be back next week with heavyweights. As always, thank you.